Support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by Heat Treat Bootcamp. Find out how you can enroll in this basic training at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash bootcamp. And welcome to Heat Treat Radio. Whether you're listening to us or tuning in via video on heattreattoday.com forward slash radio, we're glad to have you. Scott McKenzie, the Senior Research Scientist and Metallurgist for Quaker Houghton, is joining Heat Treat Radio host and Heat Treat Today publisher Doug Glenn to talk about four need-to-know topics for heat treaters in the automotive industry. Scott speaks from his expertise in quenching to share his thoughts on major topics ranging from electric vehicles, aluminum and automotive manufacturing, simulation and design, and where to get heat treat and quench training. Let's take a listen. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Heat Treat Radio. We're uh, here today with Dr. D. Scott McKenzie from uh, Quaker Houghton. We're going to talk a little bit about quenching. Scott, first off, welcome, uh, welcome to Heat Treat Radio. Thank you. Going to do a quick introduction. And I just go by Scott. You go by Scott. All right, very good, very good. We could. You and I have known Scott. each other long enough. We can. I can probably do that and get away with it. So that's okay. But oh, anyhow, let me inter- everybody let me- calls me Scott. I don't like being called Doctor. So okay. All right, there you go. Well, let me give a let me give the folks a bit of an intro, and then uh, I'm going to just kind of highlight some of the stuff we're going to be covering today, uh, which includes things like uh, we're going to be talking quenching because Scott obviously is the the quench king here, and we're going to talk about EV electric vehicles a little bit. We're going to talk about aluminum in the automotive industry, modeling and simulation. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, briefly, we're going to talk about a product that uh, Quaker Houghton uh, came out with not too terribly long ago called Greenlight. We'll talk about that just briefly. We're going to talk about also about training for uh, captive and or commercial heat treaters in regards to quenching. So that's stuff to look forward to. Uh, but first, let me just mention that uh, Scott is presently the senior research scientist and metallurgist uh, for Quaker Houghton, formerly uh, Houghton International in Conshohocken, PA. He joined Houghton International in 2001 as a technical specialist, heat treating marketing, and moved to the heat treat laboratory uh, to the supervisor position in 2007. Prior to joining Houghton, he worked as an associate technical fellow and failure analysis at the company actually for six years and manufacturing engineer for the steel and aluminum heat treating departments for 12 years. He was past president of the IFHTSE, International Federation for Heat Treatment and Surface Engineering from 2018 to 2020, and is an active member of ASM, served on a lot of committees over there at ASM, I know, uh, as well as a member or, or chairman. And you've authored, Scott says here that you've authored several books and over 100 peer-reviewed papers. So Scott got his BS in metallurgical engineering from the Ohio State University. Go Buckeyes. Copyrighted. Copyrighted. There you go. Absolutely. You got to say the Ohio it's State. A, yeah. The copyright that has a great mark on it. And got your, uh, looks like your MS and PhD from the University of Missouri. Missouri Rala. So that is bottom line. Scott is well qualified to talk about quenching and that's what we want to do. Scott, let me, before we jump in and ask the first question, anything else you'd like to share with us about your background, where you, where you've been, some of your more interesting experiences or, you know, things that would be of interest. I mean, one, I got my PhD late in life. I mean, I started on my PhD when I was 45. Right. So I already had, you know, practically 15 years of experience on the shop floor, uh, mostly doing heat treat, uh, heat treat with uh, doing all the uh, landing gear for the F-18, F-15, AV-8B Harrier, uh, wing skins for aircraft like the uh, MD-80, DC-9, DC-10, MD-11, uh, and then some of the, uh, then later when it was Boeing, it was some of the 737 wing skins and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of manufacturing on the shop floor. Right, right. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's a real, 
it's a real advantage going to school late in life too, I think, because you come there with a, a real different perspective. You're not green. You know the questions to ask. You know what's BS, what's not BS. So, Well, the trouble is with that is twofold. One, you're not willing to take any BS from your professors, right? Right, right. Right. And also you are more willing to challenge them. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So in that you're from a teacher's perspective, you're a much more difficult student. Yeah. Okay. Because they question more, but by the same token, you're also easier to teach. Yeah. Because they're more more motivated. You're not just there because mommy's paying the bill. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd much rather, I mean, I taught school a little bit, not, not college level but much rather have students that are engaged. So that's good. All right. Well, listen, let's, uh, let's you, I, and the four horses of the apocalypse. Let's, uh, let's start making, uh, which I love the background, by the way, let's talk about electric vehicles. All right. It's, it's a transition that seems to be coming on. Let's talk about it in terms of heat treating in general and quenching in particular, if you don't mind. Um, what do you think about this EV thing? Is it, how's it going to impact heat treat? Well, there's a big thing about EV that's going to drastically impact heat treating in the heat treating industry, as well as quenchants. Presently, uh, approximately 50% of the heat treaters, at least in the U.S. and probably globally, are related to heat treating of gears, right? Transmission gears, etc. Right? Then we have, you know, uh, doing other suspension components, you know, like the tulips for the drive shafts, et cetera, right? But should the complete EV be, and I'm not talking hybrids, I'm talking about a complete EV. EVs drive by, you push your foot on the accelerator, it goes through like a potentiometer, the computer, and that will control the four motors at each wheel or just two, all right? There's no transmission involved. So since there's no transmission involved, there's no requirement for gears. And since there's no requirement for the gears, there's no requirement for heat treat. And so if we get a full implementation of electric vehicles, we'll have roughly 50% excess capacity in the heat treat industry, which means the grid people won't be selling as many grids. The quenching people won't be selling as much quenching. Um, you will still have, even in the racing world, uh, like even Formula One is going to electric. You know, they have Formula uh, Formula E, which is all electric. You know, you look at even the supercars. Aston Martin just announced an, a fully electric vehicle. Okay, I mean, came out with their Twitter feed last night. Uh, I'm a big fan of Aston Martin. Um, you know, you have the Lamborghini, Ferrari. They're all coming out with electric vehicles, either hybrid or fully electric. Volvo is committed to uh, 100% electric by 2025. Right, right. I've seen that. Yep. So we need to pay attention to where the industry is going. Now, you will still need the suspension components, for instance, the tulips, you know, the drive shaft uh, where the motor attaches to the uh, wheel and that shafting. But that will be predominantly not by traditional atmospheric quench. That's going to be done by induction hardening. Okay. Yep. And so I expect to see an increase in induction hardening, or at least stay the same, but more atmosphere, traditional atmosphere, um, endothermic atmosphere, and quenching, and quenching, and quenching. That's going to be drastically hit in the next twenty, in the next right. eh, five, ten years. Right. So gears, uh, I assume camshafts. Not going to yep. see that. Yep. Other than uh, drive, a, drive shafts, drive shafts to a certain extent, not the same type of drive shafts that you've got now, right? But you'll those different different types. There'll be four independent ones, I suppose. On is does the EV uh, does the EV move 
add anything? Uh, are we doing heat treating of armatures or anything in the in the motors, uh, motor laminations, anything of that sort? Does it add to the heat treat load? I mean, certainly the motor laminations, you know, that requires a special process, you know, a thermal mm -hmm. process. It's not yeah. quite heat treating because the thermal lamination, it's just, it's going to require different materials, hard silicon steels. Um, you are also going to see much more leading into your other question about aluminum heat treating because of the structures are going to be moving in either much higher strength steels for bodies to meet crash readiness. They're either going into aluminum because of lighter weight or for very high performance, they're gonna go into carbon fiber. Okay, I mean, that required, you know, carbon fiber will require, you know, the resins and the prepeg and all the, will require a thermal process in itself. But that's more like in an autoclave, right? More like air framers do, air framers. Aluminum will require a different mindset, all right? This will require, and it's already starting to happen where automotive manufacturers are starting to do aluminum heat treating. And a lot of them are adopting a lot of the aerospace specifications for good or bad, like AMS 2770 for heat treating recipes. It, it eliminates a lot of research and development on their part. Right, right. So they just have to stick to the AMS 2770. Right. Or you can do like the Japanese have done in many cases where they're using, they're not going to aluminum. What they're doing is higher strength steel and just make it get thinner. And they're going through a bad using special uh, design steels, you know, much more uh, uh, highly re refined grain. You've got other stuff in there. You know, you've got the, uh, some rare earths and other stuff to get the high hardness. And then what they're doing is, for instance, they're forging it at a high temperature. And the Germans are also doing this too as part of Audi and Mercedes is they forge the sheet, they take the cold sheet, they put it into, into a forging press, they heat it up to the forging temperature. Then what they do is that then they stamp it into the sheet, into the form, very complicated form, right? And then what they do is that they quench it while it's in the plaque. So in other words, they have all kinds of holes in the dye. And so it's actually acting like a quench press but in, in this case by a quench press. So then they have a fully heat treated part as it exits, uh, as it exits forging press. And, and, and that's, that was steel or aluminum? Steel. That's steel. Okay. High strength steel, specially designed, let's say designer mm -hmm. steels or whatever. Okay. Mm -hmm. and so all it does is that it goes, once it gets out of the forge press, it's stamped yep. and then goes out. It goes directly into the tempering process. Okay. Yep. And this is done, and sometimes it goes directly out without tempering. It gets painted and then puts into a curing, and that does my tempering operation. Does a tempering, okay. So does that, it, as far as quen the quenching part, obviously you're, you're quenching through the dye, as you mentioned, so that's that's changing. Is any impact, is it the same type of polymer quenching, I assume? No, it's just the mass of the dye. Okay. They may use air and the mass of the dye. Just the large, you know, when you think of it. Yeah. A dye has to be very large yeah. compared to my sheet metal, you know, yeah. the thermal mass. So they're using the thermal mass of the dye to quench the part. Which they're okay, which they're obviously cooling that dye because it's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be warming up as you mm -hmm. okay, okay, gotcha. All right, very interesting. So and just that's to, one of the problems is cooling the dye. Yeah. And cooling the dye quick enough. So they have to use all kinds of very special channels and yeah. high velocities of water, et cetera. Right, right. Very interesting. So uh, just a quick editorial comment about this. So there's a there's a debate out there. Maybe you can comment on this if you'd like, Scott. Debate out there in the in the green world uh, regarding the use of aluminum panels versus steel in the automotive industry with you know body and white type of panel uh, uh, panels for uh, for cars 
those who are green seem to be, they say, well, we need to push for aluminum. But the fact of the matter is aluminum is, <laughs> takes a lot more energy. It actually is, has a higher carbon footprint to produce than most steels do if they're, when the steels are created. So it's an interesting thing that the, uh, the Japanese and the Germans are, are, are moving towards custom designed high strength steels as opposed to potentially aluminum. What do you think? Well, I mean, if you look at aluminum and it depends on what point in the process you look at. If you look at just the overall of aluminum, right? Because of the high degree of recycling of aluminum, okay? We're not mining anything. We're not mining bauxite. Okay. So all of it goes in and then it's already, it's all right. So all you have to do is melt it and alloy it or grade the, al grade the alloy. So instead of making it with the high energy cost of the bauxite process, all right, which is interesting, it's uh, some of the cheapest, it's uh, up in Iceland. I mean, just tremendous uh, because of the cost of electricity. It's really interesting seeing those in Iceland. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, so if you look at the whole process, you know, from a cradle to grave aspect, aluminum is very attractive. Steel, on the other hand, while it takes, I mean, while we're doing a lot more recycling and we're putting it in instead of the old process where you take the taconite and you make a, a series of blast furnaces and then you put it into a mixer and then you put it into the open heart or BOF um, and cast and ingot, et cetera. Now we're doing, uh, we're running scrap, nearly 100% scrap in an electric arc furnace, put in a continuous caster and out, All right? so. From a, just electricity required to melt it, it's obviously doesn't take as much electricity to melt aluminum as it does steel, just because the temperatures are different. Okay, looking at 2700 versus 1200 for aluminum. So, in terms of an environmental impact, you know, you have to look at all the numbers. But I suspect that aluminum would come out the winner. Okay, interesting. Because you not have to mine it. Yeah, yeah, interesting. All right, let's do. Let's talk about this. Our next next topic I want to talk about with you is is, uh, is simulation and modeling, because we've talked a bit about we've talked a bit about that offline and just the 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 developments there. As far as quenching goes, what can what can you tell us in the in the quenching world as far as simulation and modeling? What's happening? Well, it can be done, and it can be <laughs> done accurately. Yeah, okay. but. All right, part of that is dependent upon the quality of your materials data. Okay, okay. that's the part, okay? We need to know how that will respond as a function of, you know, the constitutive equations within the part. For instance, you know, if I put a, uh, if I put a stress on it or I put a strain on it, how will, what's the plasticity of the part? How will it deform, yeah. all right? The next thing you have to understand is the quenching itself. You have to understand the physical properties. When we look at the heat transfer, so we have to look at the temperature, we have to look at the thermal conductivity, thermal diffusivity, um, as well as the position in space, X, Y, Z, as well as time, because you know obviously it's a time function, all right? So we have to understand that within the part. Now we also have to do the same sort of thing on the quenching, but now it's a function of space on the surface of the part, right? So now we have to look at velocity. We have to look at surface temperature, velocity, thermal conductivity, as well as X, Y, Z, and time, all right? So those things are, that's why there's been so much modeling and good effect with, for instance, 
uh, high pressure gas quenching because the properties of the gases used are well known, well documented. You know, you just look them up in a table someplace. The quenchants, on the other hand, uh, the quenchant suppliers have done a lousy job of documenting the properties, the thermal properties. Uh, that's starting to change. So that's one of the problems that we see is that the thermal properties of the quenchant are not well established. The second thing is, is looking at the boundary conditions of the part, right? Is that changes as a function of position and agitation, right? You know, the agitation rates can change, you know, around a part. You know, if I look at, you know, if I look at a part, let me do the nice video, all right. The quench rates change as a function of velocity. Well, the heat, the suppliers have not done a real good job of characterizing their quenchants as a function of as a function of velocity. All right, and so that's a problem. Right, that's getting worked on. Right. Um, so in terms of the simulation, it can be done if you've got good boundary conditions. The boundary conditions being the stuff on the outside of the part and the stuff inside the part. Once you do that, and you can do this with either using, you know, something like computational fluid dynamics, okay, and then applying that as whatever velocity heat transfer coefficient that you get out of that, and apply it to the boundary of the part, then you can use, uh, you know, a variety of different uh, software programs such as Dante, or Trans or SimHeat. Both of those are good. Uh, just the difference in their material databases. Each will give similar results, but it's a function garbage in, garbage out. You know, you have to have good material properties and good boundary conditions. If you have those, then you can get a reasonable result. But if you don't, you'll just get garbage results. Yeah, yeah. Do you see, Scott, uh, there's, I guess, as far as simulation goes, obviously, it's something that can be done. Do you see it growing, the, the use of it growing? significantly over the next five to 10 years? And if so, any particular areas you see it growing? I'm assuming it's gonna be in high value parts, right? You're probably gonna be, probably see it more there than in your, you know, nuts and bolts. <laughs> I see it more in, you know, agree, like in the higher value parts. Yeah. Uh, and also induction hardening. Okay. All right, and, and let me explain one in the high value parts because they want to be able to characterize the parts all right yeah either as oops i sent this part out and it cracked what happened as an right. analysis tool to prevent either to explain things why something broke um i see this occurring more in the automotive world at the oem level okay uh, you see some of it in the second tier aerospace, you know, where they're trying to understand to reduce residual stresses, uh, reduce distortion. Mm -hmm. uh, at the commercial heat treated, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they just get paid to uh, quench the part and shove it out the door. Yeah, okay. And is it, is it, Ge is it uh, genuinely accessible today? I mean, you mentioned Dante and things of that sort. I mean, are they, are most of the quench companies doing, I know Quaker Houghton probably is, but are most of the quench companies working with modeling or is, or is it is it not that commonplace? It's not that common. Okay. Right. Part of it is because, you know, the, the quenching business is a very competitive business, right? I mean, it just is, and a lot of people look at it as strictly a commodity. And I mean, quite frankly, we've lost sales, I've lost sales 
over a penny a gallon. All right, and so one of the things is uh, it's very difficult, and it's more difficult for the salespeople. You know, I'm not sales, but lab guy. But is to look at the value add, right? And that value add can either be, you know, we're not the most, we're not the cheapest function out there. Okay, we're not. That's, you know, we're the Cadillac. We're not the Chevy. All right. So to justify that higher price in my salary, um, you have to. You know, we have to sell the value add, and that value add can be help with making sure that the quenchant meets, uh, or rather, that when I quench my parts in it, I'm going to make properties. Okay. Uh, for instance, most quenchant suppliers do not have a metallurgist. Okay. One, metallurgists are hard to find anyway. Okay, uh, so they'll get a material science person, which may or may not be exposed to heat treating. Um, so they have to help them understand whether or not they're going to make parts. In other words, to mitigate the risk in changing to another question. Right. So the value add is, you know, the backup support from a metallurgical point of view. You know, that's help understanding not only just the chemistry of the quenchant and what it does, but what happens to the part? You know, why has my part stayed? Or why did my part crack? Or why did my part work this way as opposed to that way? Uh, how can I approve the residual stress, stress state in that, in that part? Uh, how can I reduce the distortion? How can I achieve better properties? Those are the things that, for instance, we can help with, right? But some of the other suppliers can also do it, but they're not doing it using modeling or using, you know, computational fluid dynamics or using, you know, the modeling program. They're doing it based on their experience. Something I do too, but I can do that with the modeling and my experience. Yeah. Even closer. Yeah. Yeah. Two prongs there. Did. Did that answer your question? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, I, I was trying to get a sense from uh, our listeners who are many of them are going to be, you know, manufacturers with heat treat in-house, captive heat treaters, as we call them. Uh, just curious how accessible it is. You know, do they need to, is it something they can call today and say, you know, can you help me with this? And can we model it? Sounds like yes, but not with all quench suppliers and but there are, but it is possible. I guess that's. But there's the also there are also consultants out there. Correct. We'll be back in just a moment. But first, take a minute to sign up to go to Pittsburgh this October 2022. This fall, Heat Treat Today is hosting the first ever Heat Treat Bootcamp, a basic training to benefit new hires and old hires who want to learn about how the North American heat treat industry works. We're talking the main players, products, processes, markets, and materials in the North American heat treat market. That is. Who are the main equipment and service suppliers? What products are they selling? What are the popular processes in heat treat? What markets is heat treat most important to? And what materials are most often heat treated? This is the perfect training to help you walk and talk the industry and will not be overly technical. Go to www.heattreattoday.com forward slash bootcamp to register for the three-day training in Pittsburgh. Again, that's www.heattreattoday.com forward slash bootcamp. Now back to the episode. Let's talk about quickly. Uh, your, the the uh, Quaker Houghton came out. I don't know, several years ago. It's probably been over three or four three years ago. Three years. What's it? Three years. How many? Next month. Three years. Okay. Came out with this product called Green Light, and I've been wanting to wanting to talk to somebody over there about that. So just just thirty thousand foot view. What is it? Why does it work? Why should people care about it? Okay. What the Green Light unit is. And it's very simple. You're measuring something. Yeah. All right. And that measuring something could be, for instance, polymer concentration using okay. a pentometer. Uh, there, you could be measuring pH. You could be measuring some other physical property. 
right? You tell the unit, these are the ranges that I want to use. You can use it through a computer interface or PLC interface. And I set this box on, for instance, my induction hardener, which is very common. I have a, a concentration range for the polymer quenchant. Yep. All right. If I go below that, it puts a big red flag. Got it. Right. If everything's good, it waves a green flag. If it's either too high or too low, it waves a red flag and says, pay attention. All right. Now, that red flag can be either I could add water or add polymer, and I could tell either a person to do that, you know, operator, come and do this for me. Or it can tell a PLC to actuate a pump to add water or to add polymer. All automated, don't have to pay attention to it. Got it, got it, yeah. And that works That works not just on induction equipment, just to be clear, right? I mean, you can do this on a quench, oh, yeah, quench tank, whatever. Anywhere okay. I can put it on a polymer quench, for instance. Gotcha, gotcha. But okay. most commonly, it is being used on, uh, it's being used on induction. In fact, gotcha. on some, it's standard on some of the induction hardening equipment that's being so, used basically just a simple human machine interface or human human uh i guess uh quench fluid <laughs> interface it's going to tell you whether it's whether it's within spec or not if it's not in spec the green light goes out the red light comes on and potentially you sounds an alarm or sound some sort right. of enunciation whether it's visual or audible or both yeah and so you either fix it manually that. you either fix it manually or you've got it programmed so that a a plc can yeah, Make whatever adjustments closure that you can tell a PLC to do some. Action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, good. All right, let's let's hit one other one other main topic before we wrap up today. Uh, and you've already kind of hinted at it, but I think it's it's something that's important. You know, we we've talked a lot about brain drain in the industry and the fact that, uh, uh, and you and I actually spoke offline here not too long ago about. Uh, metallurgy programs versus material science programs and the fact that sometimes material science uh, graduates don't necessarily have a full grasp on what metallurgy is and how it works. When companies that are manufacturers in their own in-house heat treat, they're, they're needing help. What about, I mean, how are they going to get training? Where can, in fact, they go to get questions answered, things of that sort? And how bad is that problem? Well, one, it's a global issue, right? Okay. Metallurgy is kind of like a forgotten science. Yeah. Um, the reason now, and I was one of the last from at Ohio State to actually graduate with a metallurgy degree, metallurgical engineering, right? After that, they changed to material science. The reason why is because one of our illustrious uh, funding or grant funding says, you know, we already know everything there is to need to know about heat treatment and metallurgy. All right. Uh, we need to be focusing our energies on nano this or green this or additive manufacturing or you know whatever kind of buzzword in other words you toss in something you toss in those buzzwords and you can get a grant so in other words it's because of the universities chasing the government cheese okay when really what the industry needs is people who have a strong grasp of the metallurgy of something for instance we have All right, when I went to school back in the dark ages, and this is about 19, uh, 1980, oh, back when we still used slide rules, um, I still have my, um, we were actually had whole courses, multiple semesters on heat treating. How does, a steel react when I change the quench rate. You know, we have, you know, the different microstructures you get. Looking at the microstructure, what do we get? 
now with a material science degree, what we were exposed to in multiple semesters, they may get mentioned in a single lecture. Yeah, yeah. And spend the rest of the time talking about plastics, polymers, composites, and and the uh, highfalutin new stuff, which is important. But I mean, it's certainly you an idea. All right. Yeah. I had a customer. They were having roughly ninety five percent fracking. And so they asked me to help. Then they're using our quenchant, right? And what they were doing is that they were taking the parts and they were putting them into uh, the high temperature, the austenizing furnace. Okay, they would then quench them into our polymer quenchant, and these were parts like 4340, uh, big parts, you know, big parts. Um, they they only had the one furnace. So then what they would do is after they quench it, they take up the parts, then they would put them outside in the snow. And so they could let the furnace cool down so they could then temper them. You know, and usually take overnight. So then when they come around in the, the next morning, all these big, expensive, large, and we're talking, you know, several hundred pound parts. We're sitting there in multiple pieces because of point cracking. So they wanted to understand why this was happening. So I go in there and I talk to, I meet with their metallurgist. And I said, okay, what the problem is, you're having an issue with point cracking, uh, cracking, which is due to, you know, Quench cracking is due to the transformation of site, and you need to get rid of the residual stresses by putting it in temper immediately. The metallurgist looked at me and asked me, what's Spartan site? <laughs> yeah, uh, not point, a good I sign. Had to, I had to control my... Yeah, your inner Scott. It might, yeah. yeah. And I asked her, where did she go to school? Yeah. And she went to another school, which, um, can I mention the school? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, she went to Carnegie well, Mellon. Okay, sure. she went to Carnegie Mellon. Not that it's not a good school. It's just oh, it's your, point being, no, your, it's point, your point being, they're not covering the metallurgy okay. that they need, right? That's right. right. Yeah. Now, I looked at her and I said, you know, I know a lot of the professors there. In fact, I flunked out of Carnegie Mellon. My, you know, I mentioned if I had lousy grades, I flunked out of Carnegie Mellon. Okay, I was accepted, flunked out. So I know, I mean, in fact, you know, Metrans A is by, you know, Dave Laughlin, who is at Carnegie Mellon, who is a wonderful person. I think he may have retired now. Uh, wonderful professor. And he gave me my first metallurgy program. He's also been supported to me throughout my career. But I looked at him and I said, you know, as I recall, they had, you know, we were taught these courses. I mean, I had Masowski, I had, you know, Laughlin, I had a whole bunch of people that were, you know, well up in the. And she said, looked at me and says, oh, well, it was a material science degree and I took the ceramic option. So anyway, we had to go through and do all the training, you know, what's required and all the stuff. And we got it. So understood what was going on, understood, you know, the ramifications of different quench rates on, and got that all resolved. And then I talked to this when I was working on my, uh, you know, afterwards, I talked to one of my professors uh, who since passed away at University of Missouri Rolla or now known as uh, Missouri, Missouri Science and Technology or something like that, right? Insti yeah, Missouri Institute of Science and Technology. So MITS or something like that, maybe. Yeah, I guess. Um, I'll still call it University of Missouri at all. Um, and he said, that's unfortunately the truth. 
if you want somebody that's knowledgeable in heat treatment, don't hire a material science person. Hire a mechanical engineer because at least they will be exposed to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you mentioned that's that's a good point. That's a good point. It's possible that the mechanical engineers are going to have more more exposure to at least the effects of heat treat and understand heat treat more than, than maybe materials engineers who may not even, you know, may have, may have got one course. You'd mentioned before, Scott, that there are only a couple of schools in the U.S. now that still maintain an actual metallurgy degree. Yep. Do you recall who they are? Uh, yeah, I believe the University of Missouri, Rolla. Okay. okay. Uh, they still are Missouri Science of Tech Institute of Science and Technology. Gotcha. In beautiful and scenic Rolla, Missouri. Okay. <laughs> um, there is University of Arizona. Okay. But I believe they are focused strictly on mostly mining. Yeah, yeah, because there, there's a there's a heavy metallurgy emphasis in in mining as well. So, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, there is University of Southern South, South Dakota, Dakota, South Dakota, I think. Yeah, mm -hmm. and maybe uh, University of uh, Idaho. OK, I'm not sure on that one, but I Colorado think... School of Mines, Colorado School, oh, yeah, of, Mines. Colorado School of Mines. Sure. I think that they at least used to. I don't know that they, they still, still do. do. They still do. I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's for colleges. So, so you know, the the I guess an application here is for for companies who are looking to hire people to help them with metallurgy because you know what we're talking about here is training and getting the, the brain drain. Is be very careful who you're hiring and where they came from and how if they're not to say that all materials engineers are not worth their salt because that is not the case. There's going to be plenty of them, but you need to ask the question. How much exposure? What has been your experience in metallurgy specifically? All right. I think yeah. that's the point. And I'll tell you what, all right. You know, some if now the industry right now, okay, it's a bunch of old guys. All right. We're retiring. I'm gonna be retiring probably in the next three up to three years. All right. Mm -hmm. But if you look oh. at other people in the world, I mean, you know, we're all getting up there. Yeah. Yeah. And the young people to replace us, all right, we'll have to be knowledgeable. Otherwise, we're going to repeat all the same mistakes all over again. Right, right. Well, I want you to know. associated with it. I want you to know there are a lot of young people coming up yep. in the industry right there, 40 under yep. 40. So there are some good, good people. It's, a, it's yes, amazing. But you are your point is very well taken. It's, there's a, right. there's a and lot what, of One of those 40 of 40 has been hired or has been brought along. That's right. Sergio. Yep, Sergio. Sergio, wonderful, wonderful. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Now, that said, somebody that is very knowledgeable in deep treatment, yeah, because it's still going to be needed, whether you're doing, you know, for production of gears, not necessarily for transmissions, but gears or wind turbines or right, exactly. Whatever, mm -hmm. You know, heat treatment of turbine blades, heat treatment of whatever. Somebody who's knowledgeable in heat treatment, a young person, will be able to write their own ticket. Yeah, I agree with and, you. Yeah. You know, I mean, one of the beauties of heat treatments that I've had, I've never had to worry about losing my job. I've never had to worry about being laid off. Yeah. And I've been through some ugly layoffs. <laughs> we went to yeah. McDonnell Douglas and we had 64,000 people at one time. The next morning, we had 30,000 left. Wow. Wow. You know, in, in one day, they lay up 35,000 in one location. Wow. So, I've never had to worry about being laid off. Yeah. I've never had to worry about, all right, if something happens, will I be able to find a job? Yeah. Never had that issue not been an issue for you that's great and i think that that will be true of any young person in heat treating yeah yeah you'll yeah. always be able to find a position yeah yeah that's good well that's great scott i appreciate it so it, just to wrap this one little segment up as far as training goes 
The fact of the matter is, if you don't have in-house resources to help you understand heat treating and heat treating and or the quenching aspect of it, I think point being, there are consultants out there that can do it. There are quench companies like Quaker Houghton, for example, who and are more- heat treating societies, for instance, ASM heat treating societies. ASM, yeah. Or, and since this is a global, you know. Yeah. All the heat treating societies, whether it is the Chinese sure. Heat Treating Association, the Chinese Heat Treating Society, there are two of them and they're huge. Right. All right. right. ASMET, which is the Austrian, uh, IWT, which is the German, uh, the Italian Heat Treat Society, the Czechoslovakian, right. the Indian Heat Treat Society, which is actually part of ASM. All those societies have their own training programs. Right. Right. And they're good. I've taught some of them, um, and other people have taught. But you know, take advantage of your local heat treating society. Yeah, right. And, and if you need help, you do the training of your own people, or right. you can use the consultants. That's right. Yep. And I was going to say to, to anybody listening, if they if they need help finding those resources, you feel free to call us. I'm sure that. Uh, Bethany will will put some information in this in this podcast about how you can get a hold of us and help. And we can, if nothing else, we can put people in touch with you, Scott. Which leads me to the final question: How much information are you willing to give away as far as people people contacting you? And don't worry, even if you're you're probably not really allowed to retire. So even if you do, these people will find you. So what? Uh, you, what how can they contact you? Uh, well, I mean, you have my email address. I mean, yes, we we'll put that up on the screen. Quaker House. All right. Right. Right now, I'm not taking any consulting positions. I get asked routinely. Yep. Uh, and part of that is because it's a conflict of interest with my existing job. All right. Sure. I can, if you're using our questions, I can help you. Right. Or if you're looking to use our questions, I can help you. Right. And that. That isn't just choosing a quenchant, all right? I mean, obviously I can help you select a quenchant if you're unhappy with your existing product. Right. But if, but I can also help you, you know, minimize distortion, better reproducibility, better properties. Uh, whether that's, now we do do, you know, companies can come to us and ask for, you know, CFE modeling of a bunch of Sure. Right? We can do that. Or we can do that as part of it, uh, you know, doing the modeling of the part. We can do that. Right. And we can do it time together as best we can, you know, depending on the yeah. conditions of the bunch of And we can do that on a ASB basis. So I can help you in that fashion, but there are also other people out there. You yeah. know, Andy Bank at Airflow Sciences, which can do um, CFD work. Uh, right. Dante Technologies, Transvalor in Europe, in yep. the US, can also do stuff. I mean, we happen to work with Transvalor. Um, they can all do that. They can do it for a consulting fee. Um, so it can be done. I mean, yeah. when I get out of, uh, I decide to figure out what I'm going to do after I, when I when I figure out when I'm going to retire and then I try to figure out what I'm going to do after I retire. Then I might yeah yeah well it yeah we'll find you don't worry you won't be able to hide so that's very good Wait, what's that that's what I'm afraid of yeah exactly exactly very good Scott well I appreciate it any any closing comments you'd like to make anything we missed that you would you'd want to include in here I think we've hit on all most of the major stuff we were we were thinking about. I mean, probably the biggest thing is encourage your young people to go to conferences. And I'm not just talking about stuff where they're laying out a whole bunch of equipment. I mean, just an exhibition so you can kick and look at equipment. They need to go to the events so one, they can meet other experts, so they can be educated, 
and I'm not just talking about taking an ASM course, but I'm talking about going to the conference, being able to ask questions of other experts, as well as talk to their peers. What are the problems the peers are having? It's more than likely yeah. it's the same sort of problem. And be able to expand the horizon by seeing the conference, the conference proceeding, et cetera. Encourage them to go to those sort of things and also submit, you know, submit papers, et cetera, uh, because that's the only way they'll grow. And that's what you want is that you want the people to grow within the organization and encourage them to grow within the organization. So right. they become more of a value to that organization. Yeah. Yeah. There's no better way to learn than to teach. You know, once you once you decide you got to teach, you really you got to learn the stuff. So that's great. Well, you've done a great job of that over the years, Scott. I know there's many, many people in the industry who've, who've appreciated your uh, expertise. Okay. And we we certainly appreciate you being with us here today. So thank you very much for your time. And we'll look forward to talking with you again. Don't retire too soon. We will need you here. So stick around. Okay. Thank you. We hope you enjoy listening to today's episode with Scott. Heat Treat Radio is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Podbean, and the website www.heatreattoday.com forward slash radio. To learn more, head over to www.quakerhouten.com or email scott at scott.mckenzie at quakerhouten.com. You can also email me and I can put you in touch. My email is bethany at heatreattoday.com. You can also reach out to me if you have a new or interesting idea for our next Heat Treat Radio episode, or if you'd like to sponsor. Again, my email is bethany at heatreattoday.com. August is for automotive, and after listening to this episode, you can go check out the digital edition of Heat Treat Today's automotive print magazine that released this month. Find the resource at www.heatreattoday.com forward slash digital editions. Heat Treat Radio would like to thank Heat Treat Bootcamp for sponsoring this episode. Find out how to enroll in this basic training at www.heatreattoday.com forward slash bootcamp. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advanced written permission from Heat Treat Today. And I am Bethany Leone. Thank you for listening.